0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Thomas Oaks. I'm a covenant partner here, uh, and I have the honor of reading scripture this morning. This week, we discover what unshakable faith looks like for people living as citizens of an unshakable kingdom in a shaking world. Today's passage celebrates citizens of heaven responding to God's grace by learning to live abundant life and love for God's glory. Hear the word of God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field.
1: Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Good morning, everyone. I add my greetings to those that you have already heard, isn't it awesome? joyful to be in the house of the Lord to worship together, isn't it? Uh, We are coming to the culmination of our series in Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, please leave them open. 16 verses is a lot to unpack. We're going to hit really a 30,000 foot view uh, of this passage. Uh, And we're going to continue to unpack where we ended last week or two weeks ago uh, when we talked about receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have this unshakable identity, and this passage is this sermon is really for the saints today. If if you're a visitor with us, and uh, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, some of this might seem a little foreign. Uh, but this really is God's word speaking to God's people and what it means to live out our God identity with concrete confidence. That's confidence in a world uh, that is in conflict with His design and desires. Um, and so we're going to uh, survey this. It's it's uh, we're citizens of heaven. Uh, We have looked at at the end of chapter 11, this new city that is to come, uh, what the author has called a better home that is guaranteed because of the better covenant, because of the better sacrifice of Christ, that his blood enables us to have this secure identity in the holy family with God as our father, with brothers and sisters in Christ and the spirit inside of us. So this passage is really learning what it means to love and to live the kingdom of God in a culture that is counter to kingdom principles. And it's difficult at times to learn how to live a certain uh, culture that we have, like a kingdom identity. Let me, can I illustrate it with two stories? Okay. Okay. So my wife, Lisa, is a nurse in the San Antonio Independent School District, S-A-I-S-D. And you may or may not know this, but our city is growing rapidly in a couple of ways. First of all, we've got a lot of people moving here from the West, right? So if you moved here from the West, we're, we're glad you're here, uh, except at like 5 o'clock when everybody's trying to get home, and it's more crowded than normal, but generally we're glad you're here. But we also have a lot of people coming up from the South, That are first generation Spanish speakers. And in her school, uh, she had several folks come uh, uh, up from the south into the school, and there was one little kid in particular. He's about this big, according to the story, a tiny little buddy. Uh, And whenever he saw my wife, he would look at my wife, who's a nurse, and he would say, What's up, bro? And she would laugh and smile like that and see him later in the week. And he'd go, what's up, bro? At the end of the semester, he looked at her and he said, what's up, bro? This cute little kid that's learning our culture is clearly uh, being taught by like an older sibling or a cousin, right? I want to make you look silly in case you're wondering, my wife is no bro, okay? But I'm not throwing stones, it's difficult to learn a new culture. Uh, we lived in Indonesia for just over three years. I tried to learn the language, so much so I wanted to be able to teach and preach in that language. And early on, I tried to learn a joke in Indonesia. And at the end, I, I learned how to say, I'm joking in Indonesian, burchanda right? So I thought I would try teaching this class. I had a translator that was working with me and, I, and I, I decided, I'm like, hey, I got this, you know? So I make this joke in Indonesia and at the end, instead of saying saya berchanda, I said saya berchinta and everybody just lost it. I mean, they started laughing at my words and not my joke. And I looked at my translator and I said, I don't think I said what I think I thought I said. And over the eruption of everyone laughter, he's laughing and says, you didn't, sir. You told everyone you're making love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this isn't a sermon about being the worst missionary in the world, but I will say to all of our ministry mission teams going out, you would, you would do well to learn a little bit of the language where you're going, but make sure you're saying things correctly. It's tough to come into a new culture a new context, and to learn the ways of that culture with humility. Even more so, it's tough to be a kingdom citizen, what the apostle Paul calls in Philippians, a citizen of heaven. What he says in Colossians, that Christians have been ripped from the domain of darkness and transferred, get this, into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The author of Hebrews wants to teach Christians, those with a secure identity, who have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, here's what the language and the love and the life looks like for you as you live in a culture that is in conflict with the kingdom. In our study school class, we talked about uh, uh, the illustration was it was kind of like a uh, if you've ever been to a football game and you have sat in the visiting, uh, you've been a visitor in the home student section, but you are wearing clothes. <laughs> Uh, from your home team, and you still stand up and cheer, even though you're decked out in your own uh, uh, garments, you know, a Tennessee fan in a Florida section, or, or a, a, an Aggie fan in a University of Texas football section, you know, home, home game in the middle student section, uh, we are like that as Christians. We're in a world that is not our home and we're going to a better place. Oh, oh, look at that. There's a picture. Yeah, (laughs) Tennessee. I could have put Texas and uh, Aggies up there, but I thought I'd put the real UT up there, just as a reminder. (laughs) If it wasn't for the Tennessee Vols, you'd still be the University of North Mexico. With that, (laughs) we need to, we need to, uh, you can take that down now because we're going to start throwing stuff. We, we, We need to understand when Jesus says to his disciples, seek first the kingdom of heaven, that he has a specific design for not only our lips, what we say, but our life and how we love and who we obey. As citizens of heaven who have received an unshakable kingdom, we're going to learn what it looks like to be citizens of heaven. So before we unpack the word of the Lord, can we go to the Lord of the word in prayer? Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We are secure in your love. You've bought us with the price of your son. We thank you, Lord, that we can draw near to you and we can live a secure identity. Lord, many of us this morning come from a place of a misplaced identity. We're conforming to the patterns of this world rather than celebrating the pattern of your kingdom. Lord, we want to turn from those places of our world that promise security or status or strength that aren't of you. And would you help us by the power of your spirit to draw near to your throne of grace that we can learn the language of your kingdom to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you look quickly, we're going to run through this passage, and it begins with a a very clear picture of what the language of the kingdom is. The first thing that we see is that love is the language of the kingdom. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. You see, when we are members of an unshakable kingdom, we have this great identity with the love of our Father bringing us into a new family. So we do, in fact, not grow weary of showing brotherly or sisterly love. It is appropriate for us to look at each other and say, What's up? bro, right? Like that's actually appropriate for us as the family of God, but there's so much love in that we love one another that we also even love strangers, people outside of our family, and we don't realize there's actual eternal realities that we are engaging when we allow that love to overflow. It's illustrated by the author reminding the Christian church in uh, in the first century that even in their hospitality, they may actually be Hosting angels. That eternity can break into normal, ordinary moments. That the supernatural can actually infuse and inhabit that which is natural, overflowing love from the people of God to strangers and aliens. Even more than that, people who are in bondage, those that are in prison, are also recipients of the love of our king, who has brought us into his kingdom and given us an unshakable kingdom. The picture is literally folks that have a shaking world that need hospitality, those that are caught in bondage and need to know freedom that God's people overflow and are love with one another so radically that all the world will know the love of our God through our care for the alien the stranger, those that are in prison. Now, practically in the first century, you'll remember back in chapter 10, verses 34 to 35, that the Christian church had a lot of problems because they proclaimed Jesus as Lord. That included a plundering of their property and imprisonment. And I'm not the one who alliterated that. That comes from the chapter 10, 34 to 35. All right? It It was normal. So, the prison sentences from people who had faith in Christ, the church was supposed to go love them, to serve them. We do it today in other ways. We actually have a prison ministry training on Tuesday. If you want to go visit prisoners, love them, share the gospel with them, please come to the training. You can find out information on our website. But practically speaking, now, this is a picture of love being the language of not only our life together, but life in this world. Christ has loved us, so we love one another. We love as we have been loved. Well, you say, Mitchell, how is it that Christ has loved us? All through Hebrews, we've talked about it, but simple statements come from other parts of the New Testament. For instance, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. While you were an enemy of Christ he died for you. Ephesians chapter two, when you were hostile to Christ, he gave himself for you. This love as we've been loved is indiscriminate on how we're being treated or have been treated and even on how we feel because it's an amazing sacrificial love that changes our hearts, makes us a new creation and calls us to seek loving the city where we've been placed. So love is the language. If we can't love in the kingdom, then no matter what we say, it won't be heard. Without love, we're a noisy gong. Without love, all you do is unprofitable. Without love, there is no kingdom power. As citizens of heaven, as people seeking a better city with an eternal perspective. Love is our language for all of life. And life is what we go for. This is the next thing that we see in these verses. Life is the sign of the kingdom. Jesus came, love made flesh. God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. He didn't come to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to give life and life abundant. Abundant life comes when we are in the kingdom saying yes to God's grace, but then we obey our king everywhere and in every space. Jesus is our savior, but he's also our Lord and we find abundant life when we obey him. Now, the author of Hebrews is very, very applicable for, the, for our church today. He writes three particular places where the early church should have abundant life. First, marriage. Second, sexuality. Third, money. If you talk about areas where the church today is in conflict with the culture and needs to know what it looks like to live with Jesus as, our, as a king, those are probably three of the top three areas marriage, sexuality, and money. Right here in verses four and five. Marriage. Let marriage be held in honor by all of you. Now, you might have read some international headlines about marriage. We were talking about this in Sunday school as well. Uh, did you know that in England, a woman married her cat. Did you know that? True story. Uh, she, she, her building did not allow pets, uh, but they did allow husbands, so she married her cat as her husband so she could keep her cat as a pet. Crazy times. In Japan, a man actually married a, uh, a graphic, a hologram, an um, uh, anime. True. You can look those up on the interwebs. It has to be true, right? So you talk about that. Well, at least we don't have issues with marriage in our country, right? We're not like Japan or or England or what. Let marriage be held in honor by you all. You see, kingdom life and kingdom love finds abundant life in celebrating and honoring marriage. This is a family talk, and it's restorative for God's people who choose to take the yoke of Christ on us. Marriage is for God's design to fill the earth, to propagate It's to give his people joy. It's to reflect his image, male and female coming together as one flesh. Two becoming one, reflecting a Trinitarian God that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, and one in three. And to honor marriage is to have a heart posture of gratitude that honors and fears God more than our culture. And what does that look like? It looks like we wait until God's time to get married, We don't pretend to be married before we are. We wait till we give and receive vows before God and others, where brother and sister in Christ turn into husband and wife. Uh, we understand that marriage is, is designed to be between a man and a woman, a commitment that we make for life, uh, barring the biblical excuse, uh, reasons for sin, they, uh, for divorce. Those are there. But God's design is, even in the difficulties of marriage, to display the sovereign grace that He gives us. To hold it in honor by everyone is even, even our unmarried folks to, to celebrate the, the joy of marriage for everybody that God calls to be married. We honor marriage, but we also honor sexuality. And this, God has given, in the same way he's given a design for marriage, he's, he's given a design for sexuality. And God gives gender. God gives sexual desire. And he gives a context for sexual desire in the context of marriage. And and it is designed to be every man is to be married to a one-man woman. And every woman is designed to be married to a one-woman man. And that is complicated in a world where we're very permissive about pornography. That we allow our hearts to wander mentally. Uh, We're permissive about soft pornography that's in movies and magazines. We're permissive about sensual scenes that we see and even celebrate in public and in private. And we allow our hearts to transgress even the design that Jesus himself gives us when he says that if you look upon someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Now, the floor of the law is designed to give us something to stand on, but the ceiling of the law, the beauty of God's design, is designed to give us abundant life. If you're like me, then you failed sexually and you struggled with God's design and you're in desperate need of God's grace. But our sin and our struggle is never the end of the story because we're part of a kingdom. From the beloved Father who puts us in, and he says, that our king, we're, we're ripped from the domain of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of God's beloved Son, through whom we have redemption and forgiveness for our sins, so that we can be cleansed and begin again. But where the author really nails things down is in money. If you look down at verse 5, he says it clearly, to be content with what you have. Now that speaks a loud message to a materialistic culture like we have in the West. To be content with what we have, to be in the kingdom, have unshakable faith in an unshakable kingdom is to be content with what we have. It is to understand that Jesus has promised, look at verse five, it says it, I will never leave you or forsake you. The presence of Jesus is enough for us. In our struggles and in our wants, his presence is enough. When all of our culture is uber-materialistic, his presence is enough. And this looks specific in very specific ways. The abundant love and gospel-filled transformation, here's what it looks like. Life is a sign of the kingdom. Security. That your security is not found in power and riches. But it's found in strength to serve as sons and daughters of the king. But not just security, but status. Our status isn't social position and prominence. Our status, we're we're children of God, we're citizens of heaven. We have significance in the love of God. It means as kingdom citizens, we don't look to wealth, we don't look to work as our God little g. But we see that all of life is from God and for God. So we're marked with gratitude and generosity. That's where our significance is found because we have a deep satisfaction. We don't need satisfaction in prioritizing our prosperity, but participating in God's work in all of life. And these are seen by the symbols in our life. If we are secured and unshakable kingdom, we don't need to have the materialistic status symbols of our culture. I love me some nice cars. I love me some nice houses. I love me some, all of the good stuff that God gives us. It's not in condemnation of that, but if the symbols of your significance and the source of your satisfaction are material things in this world, you will be left in want, period. Our symbols are cross. And loss, it's death to give others life. That's the symbol of our faith and that's where we find strength. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. His presence is enough, so money is not our power. We have an upside down kingdom where literally the Lord says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient. You see, this turns everything upside down in our life. And there's passage after passage in the New Testament that we could go and unpack this. But the author really presses this in. The better covenant, the better sacrifice, the better relationship we have with God through Christ allows us to draw near to the throne of grace, whereby we can find all that our hearts are longing for in the gospel. Because the truth is, Jesus left the riches of heaven Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 6 to 8. And we can't get away, if you look down this passage, he says to me, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can't get away from where that takes us. That takes us to Matthew 28. That takes us to Jesus' great commission for his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And that's what takes us to the last thing we see, that learning is the way of the kingdom. And we don't, we're not going to be able to unpack everywhere we learn. But if love is our language, an abundant life is the sign of the kingdom, life celebrating God's design in marriage and in sexuality and in, in, in our money just as examples that abundant life is there and where it's not there we repent and find restoration and forgiveness and renewal then learning is the way those that are saved by grace are saved to know God and enjoy him forever do you know you have a God that wants you to know him a king that loves you and want you to, to learn more about him and through that more of who he's created you to be, that's amazing. You want strength to sustain? We find it in our savior. You want energy so that you can endure the hard times of our world? Then we have to engage this relationship that God gives us. How do we learn? Well, the first thing that we see is that we learn from God's word. You wanna have courage to live as a kingdom citizen? then hold on to not just the reality that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, but look at what he says. He quotes Psalm uh, 118, 6. The Lord is my helper. <laughs> what can man do to me? Nothing. God is with you, and he's promised to help you. We learn from his word. Second, we learn from God's people. Remember your leaders who spoke to you. Look at the end of verse 7. Uh, look at the outcome of their life and imitate their life of faith. Down in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Discipleship is the way we learn. And if you don't have someone more mature than you leading you in what it means to follow Jesus, and if you don't have someone younger than you that you are teaching what it means to follow Jesus, then you're missing this means of grace that God gives his kingdom citizens, that we learn from one another. And we learn a lot, but the last thing that we see learning in a way and kingdom, we learn the sacrifice of Jesus. We learn the ways of Jesus. Do you see? He's the same yesterday and today and forever, Jesus says. And we don't need to be distracted by false teaching, but we can satisfy our hearts with God's grace. That's what verse 8 says. But Jesus is one who was taken outside the camp. He was scorned and he suffered. And as we seek the city that is to come, verse 12 and 13 or 14, we must understand that suffering is to be expected. If we're going to stand up for Jesus and if we're really going to love one another if we're going to sacrificially serve the world, if we're going to let the language of our life speak of the glory of our King, it will cost you something. Discipleship is marked with loss, of denying yourself, of taking up your cross. Life among the people of God is marked with the mind of Christ, considering others better than yourself, looking not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Jesus came to suffer and die so that those of us who deserve to die can believe and live. But he sent us out to love a world so that we could die in the name of Jesus so that others can live and one day all be resurrected for eternity and live as citizens in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a better country, eternal realities, where there's no more suffering, no more loss, no more pain, no more death. That's the invitation for us. And all of us, because the ground we walk on is grace, all of us not only need to learn the ways of Christ, but we need to remember how we even come into this place. This is why we come to the table. If you are a Christian and you are a member in good standing of any church, this table is to nourish you. We can find acceptance in the kingdom of God because the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this, partake of this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In church, he will come again and he's gonna bring that unshakable city with him. So that all of those who know his grace in this life and live for his love as a response to his love in this life will see the eternal rewards that he promises through Christ. So now we come to feast on his faithfulness to receive his grace so that we can be nourished by his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your work. We thank you. For the power of this sacrament, the visible sign and the seal of your love for us. Lord, in our unrighteousness, we come to you and feast on your righteousness. In our sin, we come to you and feast on your forgiveness. In our death and our mortality, we come and feast on your life and your immortality that you make available in Christ. We, Lord, we thank you for this sacrament and we ask that you would set apart the ordinary bread and cup and that you would bring eternal and extraordinary realities to our heart. Feed our souls. For Lord, we know we belong to you, but we need to be nourished by your grace and your love so that we can savor your love and show your love to this world that is longing for more. Feed us, we pray.